Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daly. It's a podcast about making work better. If you are listening to this, please do sign up for the newsletter. You'll find it on the homepage of Eat Sleep Work Repeat. Sign up and you'll receive all the latest. The newsletter audience grew massively this week. If you do get it, please do share it with other people. This week's newsletter is the 12 questions that every business needs to ask. I think one of the challenges we've got right now is that a lot of us are answering the immediate and urgent and obvious questions, but we're not answering questions that speak to some of the challenges we're going to face going forwards. How do we train people if people are at home three days a week? I, re- I think you'll really enjoy that. At the stage of lockdown we're currently at, a lot of us are starting to long for human contact again. And the office feels like a happy place. But what does the office of the future look like? I was really keen to get hold of today's guest. Anthony Slumbers is incredibly incisive. He's one of the most interesting voices in the property real estate market, regarded as one of the best voices in the world, really, in how this is going to evolve. As he says in the discussion, in the same way we realised we didn't need a shop to go shopping, we've realised we don't need an office to do work. Anthony points out that no company wants an office. They want a productive workforce. And the office was the way to achieve that. And it poses some really interesting questions for us. Anthony's absolutely visionary. He's a fantastic follow on Twitter. Anthony also runs a future-proof real estate course at realinnovationacademy.com. The course is designed to teach you how to design, finance, future-proof the future office. Effectively, it's setting you up to leverage new ways of thinking about the office market. You can find that at realinnovationacademy.com. He mentions the course just at the end. Obviously, I was keen to pick Anthony's brains. Where does the property market, where does the real estate market think that the office is going? I called Anthony on the phone. It's a phone line, so it sounds like a phone line. I learned so much from him. The the line gets a little bit bumpy at the end, but the discussion that we're having at that point is so brilliant. I didn't want to edit it out. I learned so much from this. I think Anthony gives really clear provocation in the same way that we found that we can work remotely. And even though this has been possible for 15 years, it's it's come at us like an epiphany. We can also learn how we can build creativity and culture in a different way. And we talk about that. Savills, the property experts put out a report last week saying people wanted to work at home two days a week, but it won't affect the demand for the office. And just after I spoke to Anthony, I saw that the commercial property researchers, JLL, said working from home won't lead to less demand for commercial property. <laughs> it's like it's like people paid for by the cinema industry announcing that popcorn will remain in demand. It's what they're selling. As the old quotation from US writer Upton Sinclair, he won the Pulitzer Prize, the quotation is... 
It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Absolutely. Here's my discussion with real estate visionary Anthony Slumbers. More from... Thank you for chatting to me, Anthony. Uh, to kick us off, I wonder if you could explain who you are and what you do. I'm Anthony Slumbers. For 20-odd years, I ran a series of software companies developing software primarily for managing commercial real estate buildings. And now I, I write, I advise, and I speak mainly about the implications of technology on real estate portfolios. I'm, I'm going to try and sort of unpick exactly what that means for us. But I guess in, in the sort of 20 years that you've been doing this, there's been no disruption that's come close to this, I presume. Nothing quite like now. In real estate, it's taken 20 years to catch up with a lot of the disruption that's happened in other areas. Certainly for real estate, this is easily the biggest thing to happen to real estate because, well, I'm talking mainly commercial now, cannot just carry on as before anymore. <laughs> this is pretty existential a problem for commercial real estate. And so you were looking prior to this at ideas like space as a service, is that right? Sort of these ideas that, yeah. you know, the, yeah, the, it absolutely. was being unbundled, that real estate was being unbundled. Is that the way, right way for me to think about it? more a case of, of real estate becoming more operator-led and more focused on the actual wants, needs, and desires of customers, actual occupiers, rather than thinking of real estate just as hardware, just as a, a, a dumb box. So it's a focus. I mean, space as a service is, is literally what it says. It's, a, it's about trying to think of space as being something that provides the services you need to be able to do whatever it is you need to do as effectively and efficiently as possible. I like to think of it that real estate used to be all about selling a product and it's now all about delivering a service. It used to be all about hardware. Now in the future, it's going to be all about hardware plus software plus services. And what's happened now is just thrown oil on the fire. The industry was moving in one direction, out of wholesaling to retail is the way I like to see it, but I guess that, that might be confused. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Okay. I mean, the whole the whole flex market is is your retail from wholesale, yes. The flex market was, was so in London, flex was taking up sort of 17-odd percent of, of all take-up of offices the last, the last couple of years, which is which is absolutely massive. That's from, from most landlords that that actually hid a reality that they thought they were signing long leases and people were still taking long leases. But the only people taking long leases were the flex operators who were then promptly unbundling them and selling them on in slices. A lot of the industry did not really realise how much demand had changed and the actual end demand, because they were looking at the take-up from operators and thinking, oh, well, that's what the demand is. But the, the real demand was who the operators were then selling on their space space too. Right. And and that's flex, the whole flex side. Right. So we've we've all seen that WeWork became the biggest real estate purchaser in New York and Manhattan. And what you're saying effectively that that disguised the fact that the demand was fundamentally changing. And that was that was swallowing up some of the parts of the existing demand. Yeah. Because it was it looking like there was still a market for long leases. Right. And, and people taking up large slabs. But the reality is the underlying demand is that people don't want leases. <laughs> I mean, leases, leases in London have been in central London are down to round about five or six years now. So hardly anyone's taking long leases. 
And in terms of smaller space, and you have to remember, in the city of London, 50% of all the occupied units are less than 5,000 square feet. And under 5,000 square feet, why would you want to take a lease from mm. anyone? Mm. You're, you're mad to. You're much better to find a, a service provider who will supply you. There's huge sections of the market that actually have been actively looking for a new product. A lot of the industry didn't really realize that their product was the problem. And it was people repackaging their product in something user-friendly, if you like, um, that was going on. And of course, now, now you've got, you've got a completely, completely different situation where everyone's left the building and funny enough, their businesses haven't collapsed. And that's a bit, a bit of a shock because it's fun, the fundamental issue here is the same one that hit retail 10, 10 years ago. That 10 years ago, it became obvious to shoppers that they didn't need a shop to go shopping. That's just led to where retail is now. But the fundamental point now is that we all know you do not need to go to, a, you do not need to be in an office to do work. And that, that has now blown up the, the decades-old brick wall of management obstructing remote working and flex working and the notion of presenteeism, which has really held sway for, you know, for a long, long time. You know, if I can't see you, I can't, I don't know you're doing any work. And this has just blown that out of the water. That's no longer an excuse. And the whole market sort of realized that now. So everyone, everyone now has got to do a big reset and look for where is, what's the value of an office? Now, I'm a huge fan of offices, but I'm only a huge fan of offices in a certain form factor under a certain, of certain types and with certain services. Um, but the, 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 the market is increasingly going to split very quickly between those offices that are set up for the modern world, which we've now just discovered, and still provide a compelling value proposition, and those that frankly don't have much of a value proposition at all. And it's not going to be the difference between, oh, well, that one will let for, I don't know, 15, 20% less than that one. The one with no value proposition just won't let at all, whereas the good stuff will probably still be fine. Tell me then, take stock of where we are right now. So as you're looking at this, can you see the total demand for commercial real estate falling, plummeting, staying about the same? It's definitely going to fall. It's going to fall, it's going to fall dramatically. But that's not necessarily a bad thing for either side. The only thing that keeps demand for real estate has been falling for many, many years now. If you look at the larger companies re, um, when they get to a lease event, so they've either you know renewing a lease or getting a, a new lease, they've all been taking 20, 25% less space than they used to anyway. Right. So people have been taking less space when they can anyway. If you add on to that, we now know that most office-bound, knowledge-based knowledge businesses can operate without an office, and that probably half, if not more, of employees want to be one, two, three days a week at home. I mean, very few want to be all the time at home, and very few want to be all the time in the office. But a huge percentage want to have flexibility and choice. So if you just take a standard office, and then suddenly you have everyone working one day a week, well, boom, that's 20% of demand. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Take it to two days, that's 40% of demand. Now, it's not, a, it's not a direct chop because the market doesn't work like that because people are working away from home 
two days out of five. You can't just suddenly say, oh, well, that's, you know, I'll just get rid of 40% of my space. But over time, people will start to reconfigure and they, they change their uses. But it's also a case of demand in certain areas is going to go up. So central business district demand, if you net out any economic growth, because, you know, demand goes up as economies grow, but but just like, like for like, central business district, people will be taking less space in the central business district. But they might well be taking considerably more space in suburbs of various descriptions. Right. Because the whole thing about work, from, you know, we're all being forced to work from home at the moment. And frankly, it has basically worked. But work from home is not ideal for the majority of people. For people like me, it is. I've got a lovely big office at the end of the garden. That's Mm. great. Um, But for most people, they're not best set up to work at home. But work from near home? I live in Guildford, so I'm 40 minutes from Waterloo. Now, compared to do I schlep up to town, take myself an hour and a half to get to Liverpool Street and an hour and a half back? Or do I take some space three days a week down the road in Guildford High Street, taking over a space that retails come out of. Mm. And then I'll take the train up to London a couple of days a week. You're going to see a much stronger correlation between what end users really need in real estate terms to satisfy what they have to do and demand. It's going to, it's going to flex and be a bit more in some places, a bit less in other places. And it's also going to flex between types. So as I say, if you have a really a fantastic space in central business district, beautifully run, beautifully designed, really human-centered, really focused on providing great space for your occupiers, you're going to do well. If you've got a, a, an ordinary, bog-standard, however high-quality, dull, dreary workplace where everyone expects people to come and tippy-tap on their keyboards, all the time. It's not It's not going to happen. People are going to stop going to offices to have meetings with themselves, as someone described to me the other day. You know, because there's just simply, what's the point? What's the point of me going up to town to sit at the computer on a desk all day? There's no point. But there's huge value and huge utility of taking me to go and sit with my team in a space that is really designed for helping us catalyze our human skills. That has huge value. I think you'll find less but better is pretty well the mantra across real estate. In the same way, it's going to be less retail, but it's going to be better. There's going to be people are going to take less office space, but they'll probably take better space. And they'll probably pay considerably more for it per square foot, even though they might save. So someone who might have taken, I don't know, 10,000 square feet might take five and they might spend the equivalent of what would have been seven and a half. Interesting. Because it would be much better space. You raised an interesting point there along the way because you said um, that, you know, a lot of us want to work in the office maybe uh, two or three days a week. And, and of course, the office strongly benefits from being a, having a network effect. You know, the office is a wonderful place if I know all of the people I want to talk to are going to be in the office. Um, yeah. and, and I can avail myself of them on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But if... Yeah. If people are, all, are sort of each of them are only operating two days a week, there's going to be a fifty percent chance that half the people I want aren't in the office with me. And so, do you think this is going to lead to people adapting their working policies that that they have to be they have to be a little bit prescriptive in some ways to avail themselves of that network effect? Yeah, definitely. Teams need to work together. Teams need to be in the office. They either need to be in the office together or not in the office. 
There's no point half a team going up. I had a, a business for many, many years, uh, which was based in Broadgate. We used to meet religiously on a Wednesday, and it was a free line where no one could have any other meetings on a Wednesday, and the whole team got together. We spent a whole day together, and that would be the day that we, we'd review things, work on new products and services, and all that sort of stuff. And then the rest of the time, everyone could just go off and do what they like. But next Wednesday, bang, everyone had to be there. And it was fantastically effective. I think you will find more and more possibly software-mediated scheduling to make sure that when I go into the office, it's the same time as the, as the rest of my team are there. But also that I can sit with my team as well. Because if I'm just going up into flex space, and I don't know, there's 10 of us, and we're all scattered across a huge couple of floors, that's no good. When we're in there, we need to be together. So I think you're going to find more and more development of neat scheduling software, which gets the, the days right and then organizes the right spaces for whatever it is we need to do, which, again, is just making better space. And there's, there's really good operators now doing a lot of work on this sort of thing, which is maximizing the value of their space for me. So there's not going to be that much of I go in on a, on a Monday and I'm working with you, but you're on there on a Tuesday, because it's just pointless doing that. That's silly. People will work that out pretty quickly. We're just agreeing, I don't know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. See you there. Boom. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because you can definitely see the, the one thing I'm really struck by, there's a large number of Silicon Valley firms that probably have been availing themselves of this technology for, for the last decade. And, and we're sort of, we're playing catch up. But a lot of them over time have reduced their footprint of office space. They've reduced the amount of space, sometimes to, to close to zero. And so as soon as we start saying we're only going to use this office on Tuesdays and we're going to sort of work as this huddle on Tuesdays and and maybe Thursdays, it does start begging the question, space as a service, whether firms will just hire a space every Tuesday. Well, yeah, exactly. In fact, that's what they're likely to do. Right. The, the difficulty, though, is various new business models need to be worked out to allow for this. So, you know, clearly for a lot of companies, two days a week in the city or the West End, boom, that's enough. But they can't do that because they can't have the space they need just for those two days. But they will pay. That is worth a real premium to them. At the moment, there's not really the models that allow for that. At the moment, you have less people on a Monday and on Friday and offices are empty. So you've got to find some way of getting people in at the different times. The really good operators are going to start to work out how they can satisfy lots of different people. And, and it might be that, I don't know, you might work for a really posh company and you can afford Tuesday, Wednesday in this wonderful office. And I want to be in that office, but I can't really afford that. So I might do Monday and Friday. It'll just be a bit cheaper. Who knows? It might, might become much more flexi close like an, an airline. Try and catch mm. a BA flight at 7.30 to Paris. Cost you an absolute fortune. 11.30, a lot cheaper. I'll have that. There's, you know, there's always different people at different price points. The problem, of course, is this is really difficult with the way the real estate industry is constructed at the moment from a valuation and an investment point of view. The dirty little secret that's been known for years is that the investment market for offices is a lot less bond-like than people make out to be. A lot of real estate investors are pension funds and they like. They don't want venture capital type returns. They just want to know that they're going to get 3% or whatever it is, solid, no risk. 
And real estate has been sold so much on that. But, you know, here's a way to deploy a lot of money in something stable, unsexy, but reliable. But real estate has actually got less and less reliable. You know, as leases have got shorter, as people have got more flexible, the real estate market is turning to be much more like one that should be valued as a business rather than a bond, which is what the hotel asset class is. Hotels are basically valued as, as businesses. We need different types of valuation models and different types of investors to satisfy these sorts of needs, which is why it's probably going to be a bit slower than I'd like it to be, because there's a lot of operators who would like to try and operate like this, because it's going to be quite hard to get funded. But then there's lots of different sources of funding around nowadays. It's like anything else, isn't it? It's, you know, I mean, I've worked in tech for 20 odd years. It's just product market fit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You've got you got to work out, have you got the product for the market? How well do you understand the market? And have you got a product for it? And can you deliver that? Well, real estate is going to become much more like that. But the end users will pay. There's a lot more money to be, if you like, extracted from end users if they're provided with exactly what they need as and when they need it. Moody's released a report that was re- that was published in The Economist uh, last week yeah. that said <laughs> that if there's a 10% fall in, in demand over the next five years, the impact will be that property, that real estate prices will go down 50%. I saw that and sort of fell over a bit. If real estate was just a commodity, that all real estate was the same. So it didn't really matter whether I went in your in my building or your building next door. It's all, you know, standard high quality and you know exactly what you're getting that might have that might have been true but the assumption on that is that there simply would be a lot more much higher availability so you'd be trying to you'd have to be reducing the price a lot to get your base away there is so much more scope for creating brands based on understanding customers and developing user experiences that suit their customers that will start to differentiate real estate. In that sort of scenario, I think you're more likely to get that there'll be a fair amount of real estate will just pretty well lose all value because unless it's incredibly mm. cheap, no one's going to take it. But there'll be other sections which they might not command a premium when there's that much availability, but they will get away at decent prices. It's no longer going to be a market where everyone goes up and down at the same time which is historically how the market, you know, every real estate developer is either a genius or an idiot, depending where, where, <laughs> where, they are in the, where they are in the cycle. I would still bet on a really high service, know your customer focused operator still being able to let their space, even if the overall demand even if the vacancy level was, was much higher. Can you see, I mean, repurposing is obviously the order of the day, but can you see some commercial to uh, residential repurposing? Yes and no. There's been a lot of that the last few years anyway, because you've had this permitted development rights where you could convert an office building into residential. And frankly, it's, it's largely brought out the absolutely worst in developers. Right. But, you, you know, they've just been building the modern slums. And people have been making a lot of money out of it and done terrible conversions of rooms with no windows and terrible heating and lighting, just shocking because they've just given carte blanche and you don't. You, you see, the trouble with planning and regulation is everyone moans about it, but if you don't have any, you end up with the consequence of permitted development rights of 
lots and lots of tiny, teeny, terrible offices. But ultimately, I think we will start to be developing as Anna Hidalgo, the uh, mayor of Paris, has been talking about going back to more the idea of a 15-minute city where everything you need for your life is within 15 minutes walk or cycle ride, so you have much more mixed-use spaces. You know, the, the notion of having, this is the area we go to do our work, this is where we go to do our shopping, and this is where we live, and there's three separate things. I think we might look back on that as a, a bit of a, an oddity of why on earth did we think that was a good idea? And it sort of came in with, you know, the use of the car and out-of-town retail and central business districts and, and stuff. I'd, I'd like to see much more mixed-use back in London. Mm. I'd like to see a lot more manufacturing back in London. I was saying to someone the other day, you know, if you look at, you know, several row used to be full of, you know, craftsmen. And then they all went and they all got very high-end and they probably all lost their money now. Who knows? You might find the centre of London starts to fill up with a lot more maker places. You might find a lot of people moving back into the centre of London, paradoxically, because it's going to be cheaper, because there will be a lot of people moving out and thinking, oh, Christ, you know, if we get stuck again, can we please be somewhere where where I've got a garden? But on the other hand, cities go in cycles, don't they? They get really expensive and all the interesting people get kicked out and then they get really boring. And then that sort of wanes a bit. And then you start and something happens and it gets cheaper again. You get more interesting people come in and different types of spaces uh, and the cycle rotates. Clearly, there's going to be a lot of office buildings which should be certainly repurposed and hopefully repurposed mm. with, with some sort of quality or knock down and start again. Yeah. But again, that's a, fun- that's a function of price. You know, I think of the comfortable situation. If you look at in- Intu's just gone bust. People saying, oh, well, you say it's, a, it's such a shame, you know, the big shopping centre owners gone bust and what have you. And then you think, yeah, but if they hadn't gone bust, they never have got out of the hole they're in. Yeah. And they would have had to just sort of hobble along for years. Now, things are going to get sold off, probably really cheap, and new life will come back into the market. The interesting thing in the, in the real estate industry is there's always money. <laughs> And the buildings don't go. Someone might lose their money on the building. And then it's like, well, I'm still here. Who wants to try me next? And mm. the next thing, prices drop, new money comes in. Because the whole pricing structure is different, you can do more interesting things. Retail is partly going to get a lot better because it's going to get a lot cheaper. And you're going to get a lot more individual, interesting retailers who are suddenly able to open a store where they never could before because it was too, too expensive. Cycle of life stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating comparison because do you, broadly then, do you think what we've witnessed to retail in the last 15, 20 years, which was a gradual and incremental thing, and so I suspect uh, the change to commercial real estate might be faster because of this disruption. But do you think that's effectively what we're witnessing, that you know the high street looks fundamentally different? Local high streets have got nail salons on them and, and coffee shops rather than toy shops and, and bookstores. The, the local high street has changed and we're going to witness something similar with the way that our offices are configured, that it's just the the way that we work and office space will look different in 15 years. I think in many ways we should all hope for this to happen because high streets have been dying for years, but too many people have been trying to prop them up for years, saying, oh, you've got to save our retailers and and all that. The problem with the high streets and retail is there's too much retail. If you took out a lot of retail and you start adding adding more residential or or, uh, services or offices or 
whatever in there. I mean, we'd be much better if we could resurrect a lot of our town centres and our local areas as being places that aren't a desert Monday to Friday and then only take only gain any life on a weekend that are actually used on a regular basis. So if you have this situation of so if you take the com- the commuter the commuter belt around London, so there's hundreds of thousands of people come in and out of London. And, well, if all of them are two, three days a week at home, they're going to spend more money locally. They're going to do more things locally. And that will improve the quality of life for so many people. If we could reconfigure the built environment to better suit the realities of life and the wants, needs and desires of people, it's got to be a better thing. Because the biggest problem with central city offices is that everyone hates commuting. That's the biggest problem. We just don't want to do that. But at the moment, we're sort of forced to do that. If you could do things you needed to do, partly locally and partly centrally, we really should take this opportunity to think, what is it that really works for, if you just take, obviously, what really works for my employees? At the end of the day, you can think of it in quite fluffy terms oh i really care for my people and and all and all that my people are the most important thing which actually not as we know not that many companies do think of or you can be absolutely adam smith about it and say look all my staff are really expensive because they're really good and so i my incentive should be to enable them to be able to work as effectively and as hard as they possibly can and still be happy. And if I can nail that, if I could get 10% more out of my really expensive staff whilst they're still happy, that's seriously worth a lot of money to me. Mm. So you can you can take a, this is just simply the right way and the, the humane thing to do, but you can also look at it on purely Adam Smith economic terms of it's in my best interest to make my people as happy as possible, but also as effective as possible. What do I need to do in real estate terms to to enable that? So I, I have a slide in one of my talks. I say to real estate people, the trouble in real estate, we we're living in the sort of category era because we are because we have offices to sell or let. We think our customer wants an office, but it's exactly the same as manufacturers of hand drills. No one wants a hand drill; they want a hole in the wall. Mm. And no company wants an office, they want a productive workforce. And if you, re- if you reframe the way the, the thinking around offices in terms of, as a supplier of offices, what am I selling you? Well, I'm not selling you space. I'm not selling you an office. I'm going to sell you a productive workforce. And this is how I'm going to do it, because I'm going to provide you with the right hardware, the right software, the right services, and I'm going to continually optimize your space for your requirements and you're going to pay me a hell of a lot of money for it but you're going to love me because it's going to be much much better than you had before so that's a completely reframing of the mindset of a of a real estate landlord with caveats i must say there there there's there are there are some people already really thinking like that but as a as a rule of thumb that's the opposite of how people think now it's a strange time to make predictions, but what prediction are you making that you think people in the sector broadly don't agree with right now? I think a lot more is going to change than people generally think. Savills put out a report last week where they were saying something like 50% of people wanted to work at home at least two days a week. That would only impact 
demand by about 10%. And I said, but how, how can that possibly be? You're cutting 40% of demand and you think it's only going to make a small amount mm. of difference. I, I think you'll find that things are going to change a lot faster than people think. If you take a five-year time span, I think within five years, it'd be dramatically different. There's always the constraints, obviously, of depends who's tied into leases in an individual area. But I would really look out for what happens to leases that hit a lease event over the next six, 12 months, either the lease is up or it's renewal time. And look how many of those go, hmm, I think I can do something different. And what I what I would like to think is that there's enough non-real estate minded money prepared to invest into real estate, which will remove the constraint of opening up the completely different way of, way of thinking about office space. I think for someone who actively says, I think people will need a lot less of this space. I think the best owners and operators will make more money out of real estate, office real estate than they've ever done before. These two seemingly opposing ideas hold together. Don't get caught in the middle. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to be caught in the middle of pretty well anything, do you? Mm. But you really don't want to be caught in the middle. There's no point. There's literally, what is the point of this space? It costs me a lot of money. It doesn't energise my staff. Anything I do in here, I can do elsewhere. So really, what's the point? And yeah, in the middle, you're, you're in trouble. More from my discussion with Anthony Slumbers after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now back to my discussion with the real estate expert, Anthony Slumbers. The line gets a little bit bumpy at the one stage, but it's such a good discussion, I've left it in. Fundamentally, I think there's so much nonsense talked about the workplace and what's going on here. You get all these idiots saying, oh, we're all going to be 100% working from home. 
or we're oh no, we're all going to be back in the office and everything. And it's just silly. It's actually really, it's really nuanced and complicated. And unless you really dig into the requirements of the employees of a particular office in a particular location, you can't really work out what it is, what they need in real estate terms. I mean, this is one of the things that interesting I always find with brokers. The brokers always go, oh, so you just mean I'm out of a job because they're going to be in the leases. And I say, well, haven't I just talked to you for an hour of all the new services people need and how complex it is to really create great space and where people should be? That's what you should be doing. There's a huge service level of... I, the, the, thing, the thing about offices, I think, to, to a lot of the industry... Is if you if you go back, I don't know, five, five years, but certainly ten years. If you had a company with fifty people, you buy fifty desks, fifty chairs, fifty computers, fifty telephones, stick them all in the line, line them up in rows, preferably grey, and that's it, done. Your office. But in the world we're going into, to create a really great user experience for your site, it's bloody complicated. Mm. It's, diff- it's difficult, and there's lots of skill. There's lots of skills that in the real estate industry currently work as sort of separate silos that really need to come come together and think of, you know, this is about everything. This is the point of the service. How do I give you exactly what you need, and what what inputs do I need to control to be able to be able to do that? So it's a it's a it's a it's a fascinating. Um, it's a fascinating market. I, I think there's a, a lot of really interesting material out there. I mean, I do a lot of, if you like, translating planet tech to planet real estate because mm. they are like different planets. Yeah. But there's also different different ways of thinking in terms of, if you like, the, the, the analog office-bound company and, and a remote company. And I've had real struggles trying to get trying to explain to very office-based companies that these remote, these companies that do operate very distributed are not like their company. They're different. The way they're set up, the way they operate, the way they largely work asynchronously, not synchronously. If there was a better understanding of the how, how structures and operations and cultures and organizations of companies need to change to really take advantage of, well, A, A technologies, but B, distributed workforces and, and the like. And there's a, whole, there's a whole big area of misunderstanding, I think, um, with, with, which I know, I know you, 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 cover, quite, you mm. cover quite a lot. Well, the, the, the classic one, is the the time, and I'm sure this is a particularly real estate people thing. Is that oh, you know, you can only be on innovative in the in an office, obviously, and you know, offices are where you have you know um, serendipitous meetings and stuff. And I think, have none of you been on social media? Do you know not realise what people do on social media mm. and how how many serendipitous meetings people have in in the digital world? But there's a, a, lack of, a lack of understanding of that. That's not to decry serendipitous meetings within within an office, but there's, there's different there's different types. You know, pe- how people make connections and network 
it's very different. I don't think many people, this is a lot of what we do in our course, that we try and explain, if you like, tech world's thinking to non-tech world's thinking. Right. And I think there is just very much, there's just a different way of thinking in the tech world to the non-tech world. And there's, what's going on now is sort of bringing a lot of this to a head. And it's partly why so many people, I think, have been surprised that, funny enough, the remote working has worked. You know, the number of CEOs I've, I've heard go, well, I'm really quite amazed. You know, it's really worked really well. And you just think, well, you, you didn't think, you didn't understand at all why it should be perfectly capable for but, people to work but in, that, in different areas. But that poses an interesting question based on what you said before, that, you know, if what some of those tech firms are doing is working asynchronously and everyone thought that this remote work wasn't going to work, well, maybe this asynchronous work could work. But, you know, the, the actual biggest barrier is people's preconceptions. It sort of it, it forces that question to some extent, though, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And it's the way the way people are set up. I mean, it, it's it's interesting, I think, watching people use Zoom. I mean, less so now. People seem to have calmed, calmed down. But as soon as it, we all got clamped down, everyone was on big Zoom meetings eight hours a day. And I was just saying, no, you, you can't do that. It, it just... It's too hard on you. Don't try and operate as if you are all in one room together when you're not. Yeah. You need to operate. You need to operate in a in a different in a different way. And it's not you know it's not that people are stupid. It's just, it's just that you immediately try and do what you've always done in a different way. And I'm finding people have really calmed down on that. And I have a lot more individual conversations with people than group ones. And, and I think that's just because people realise, well, it, that's not the best medium for it. Mm. Thank you so much, Anthony. Great to chat to you. It was, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed that. Thank you to Anthony Slumbers. If you're interested in the really clear, incisive vision that he's got, you can find that course at the realinnovationacademy.com, realinnovationacademy.com. You can find that in the show notes. He's also, as I mentioned, a fantastic follow on Twitter. Thank you for listening. The newsletter will give you this and much, much more. I've been Bruce Daisley. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 